We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Great pump fake on the three gets inside and a thunderous left hand over Millsap. Well, I mean, he just posterizes people all the time. Look at that. Uh, I'm not taking that three. Hey, Millsap, you take some of this. You take this back to the bench with you. Welcome to the Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a really eventful trade deadline for the Phoenix Suns this year. We got to see uh, a whole lot of nothing happen, uh, and I was sick the entire time watching it, so I apologize to everyone listening to this for uh, how extra nasally I sound more than normal uh, this week. I am sick, I'm fighting back a cold, but the show must go on. My name is Mike, I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? Good, um, Mike. I, I think morale around the trade deadline was, for Suns fans, coming off the four-game losing streak, uh, combined with doing nothing, was the lowest I, <laughs> I had seen it in a while, maybe all season. Yeah. Uh, and then the Houston game, uh, no surprise, a 36-point win over a good team really picked up spirits a little bit. Uh, I was watching yeah. the first half of that Denver game last night. We're recording this on a, on a Sunday night, just before the Oscars. Uh, maybe we'll get to that later. But But the Denver game, I, I was really thinking for a second there that they were going to pull off this back-to-back wins over good teams, and, right. and that maybe morale would be boosted even a little bit higher. wasn't meant to be. Yeah, but at the same time, I know no moral victories and all that, but it was a team that is short on, on bodies because they have so many injuries, uh, no depth already, and a pretty good performance against Denver mm-hmm. on a back-to-back where DeAndre Ayton played 42 minutes on the second night of a back-to-back. I Yep. I think my morale personally was higher after the Denver game than I expected it to be. I went into that game thinking this is going to be a blowout. Jamal Murray always kills us, and he still did, of course. <laughs> uh, 
but it, it did feel like there was something there. You could still see the pieces kind of working the way that they were supposed to. You know, the bench lineups, of course, still were killed. The team really only played well when Booker or Aiton were, were on the floor. But the fact that it is even working when those two guys are on the floor, that's still encouraging to me. It's it's nice to see, especially with DeAndre Ayton only being a second-year player. Yeah, DeAndre Ayton had a, had a really good game last night. He had 28 points, 19 rebounds, three steals, two assists, uh, good, efficient shooting. Uh, but it just becomes, like like you said, he played 42 minutes last night. Kelly Oubre played 42 minutes. Booker was up there as well. Uh, it becomes harder to evaluate these guys, I think, uh, as we have these games where they're playing in the upper 30s or, or lower 40s in minutes even, and, and really trying to gauge where their effort level is late in games, because I, I think these guys at a certain point just get tired. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, being 21 years old notwithstanding, for him to play 42 minutes on the second night of yeah. a back-to-back it's pretty unheard of in, in today's NBA. Yeah. So it becomes really hard. He's a hard. big man. Yeah, he's a big man. And, and this is a guy, you know, he played 30 minutes a game last year as a rookie. One of the big keys to this season that we talked about at the beginning of this season on a podcast uh, about preseason expectations was conditioning. So, right. to, you know, to expect him to play at 110% effort for 42 minutes is pretty insane. Not to mention the fact the Sun shot 28% from deep last night. Again, I know... It's been a theme that has plagued them all season long. But when you shoot that poorly against contending teams, honestly, the fact that they kept it to a nine-point loss is pretty impressive. Yeah, I wasn't. I just wasn't really disappointed in that. No. I, I I kind of expected a loss. A, a win would have been great, right? You know, that would have felt a lot better. But I feel like a healthy team would make a massive difference, and I think that's kind of you look forward, right? Next weekend is the All Star break. There's there's a significant time between games. You can look at Ricky Rubio, who's been plagued by some minor injuries, getting some time off to rest, and then potentially, hopefully, getting more guys back. Cameron Johnson now finally back in the lineup. Took him a while to hit a three-pointer since he got back in the lineup, but I think he'll make a huge difference in those bench lineups where there's just no offense at all. Uh, But getting guys like Aaron Baines back, I think that would be huge for this team. And even Frank Kaminsky, as we Mm. talked about in the last few weeks, uh, surprisingly, would make a huge difference because there's so many bad offensive players coming off the bench and I think if you can mitigate that as much as possible then you could maximize the time that DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker share the court uh, that would be the best for this team going forward and that gets actually that's a nice way to talk about the trade deadline because as as a lot of you heard less than normal I would expect uh, I talked about Luke Kennard <laughs> exclusively with the um, a guy who who covers the Detroit Pistons Lazarus Jackson and that was a great conversation, and now I know a lot about Luke Kennard, who is not on the Phoenix Suns because <laughs> the Suns did not trade for him. And I will say I was a little suspicious of that trade as soon as Woj tweeted about it because there was just so many details in the tweet. It was like a tweet that was sent out there by Detroit themselves saying, hey, can anyone beat this? Uh, can anyone beat this offer that the Suns are giving us? Uh, because they were a little on the fence about it. Now, Luke Kennard, I think, looking back on it, and thinking about that trade, would you have made that trade, Sam? Was that something that you think that they sh- should have done? Now, we don't know what the... the It was the protections on the mm-hmm. pick that made it break down, according to yes. the sources that were out there. I think Woj tweeted about that as well. Like, would you have lowered the protections? Let's say if it was a top five protection, would you have gone down to a top five protection to actually make that uh, that trade with the Detroit Pistons? It wouldn't have been my plan A. Um, if you really want to talk about it in detail, there's a number of guys who were moved at the deadline. So 
obviously they were available for a lesser price than that. Because for me, this deadline, it's always been about proving to Devin Booker uh, that you're serious about building a competitive team around him, even in the short term. Uh, and really maybe trying to be buyers for once and not necessarily making the playoffs the end goal, but but at least trying to achieve that goal this season if you can. I mean, it's just such an odd season in the Western Conference this year, how you can actually make the playoffs with a losing record potentially. And I think the Suns were maybe a little bit silly and not trying to chase that. Getting a guy like Kennard is a little bit different because he actually improves you long term. Um, but surrendering future assets for him, I would have been willing to do it, I think. Uh, a, a top five protected right. pick. I, I really do think I would have been willing to do it. Um, I wouldn't have been jumping for joy after the trade is made. I wouldn't consider it like a right. knock it out of the park type win of a deal for Phoenix. Um, as as an aside, it's kind of interesting, right? If Kennard is, uh, if the first round pick is the going asking price for Kennard for Detroit, when they couldn't even get a first round pick out of Andre Drummond, who they did end up moving at the deadline <laughs> this year, they did essentially a cap dump deal for Drummond. Um, and got it's a the contract. I know it's the contract. the contract. I got a He's paid a lot. Yeah, well, <laughs> and he got a 2023 second round pick. Um, that's the danger of uh, of overpaying guys, you know, who who maybe get to that almost that all star, that all star reserve level, but can't quite ascend to that superstar level. But you give them a max contract anyway. That's the potential long term danger of doing a thing like that, which the Suns, who knows, a couple years from now with Kelly Oubre's extension again. You never know when you're going to be in a situation like that. Um, but regardless, that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to to just kind of settle on an answer for your question, I do think I would have been willing to do it. There are other trades yeah. that I would have liked even more, which I'd be happy to talk about. <laughs> yeah, and I, we should. And I, But I do think that after my conversation with Laz, I would have done it as well. I think the more that you look at a guy like Luke Kennard, the more you realize that's the exact kind of player that you target, a guy who's unhappy in the situation that he's in that is still productive and can maybe find a new home somewhere else and be productive, kind of like, say, Kelly Oubre, who maybe wasn't unhappy but was not a great fit in Washington. You, that's sort of a buy, buy low. Even even with a first-round pick, I would consider that a, a low asking price for a guy like Luke Kennard, specifically because he's currently producing. Now, he is injured, and that can be something that if you are overly concerned about it with the type of injuries that the Suns are currently being plagued with, that's a fair thing to be uh, concerned about. But he's a productive player right now who is still young. And I think it's something that we've learned about James Jones is this is the second trade deadline in a row that they've targeted a combo guard who is able to play and shoot uh, with some playmaking. And, and by that, I mean Dylan Brooks last season. Because you remember, the Kelly Oubre trade was originally supposed to have Dylan Brooks coming to the Suns. And that was something that Washington supposedly worked out on their end, where Dylan Brooks would be coming back to the Suns. That's, of course, the famous brooks Marshawn or Dylan Brooks a trade that never went down that ended up with the Suns getting... Kelly Oubre, I, but if you look at the initial person that they were targeting, it was Dylan Brooks, and Dylan Brooks and, and Luke Kennard are similar types of players in that they're in backup roles and they're overperforming for what they are. Dylan Brooks now awarded an extension who will no longer be available this summer for someone like James Jones to target. It seems like they are looking for that kind of player, someone that could play when Ricky Rubio's out that still has the ability to shoot and pass. From our previous conversations, Mike, I... I had the impression that you didn't like it when we mentioned that James Jones's best move uh, to this point was a mistake. Well, I wouldn't call it a mistake. I mean, you still ended. I mean, they still made the trade. An accident. Sorry, not a mistake, but but an accident. 
It well, it was an accident. If we're, if we're going to go down that route, I'm so happy the Suns <laughs> landed uh, Kelly Oubre at the end of the at the end of the day. And, and you know, as it turns out, Dylan Brooks probably would have lived up to that trade value now too. He had yeah. a rough season that last year. Would have still been better than Trevor Ariza, that's for sure. Would have still been better than Trevor Ariza, but. Uh, I, I think it is something that you factor into when you kind of try to evaluate how James Jones is doing as a GM. Um, but yeah, that that well, you're exactly if, right. If, though, if, if we're going to say that too, then we should also say that 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 point guard in Charlotte. We don't have to mention yeah, his name, yeah, Scary yeah. Terry. If yeah, you know. you're right. He's actually having a pretty good season as well. You know, it's it's a decent point. Is is he having a better <laughs> yeah. se- is he having a better season than Ricky Rubio at this point? Would you say? I oh, that's a great question. Uh, I don't I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me, but uh, he is younger. I mean, <laughs> you have to say that that's he's a younger player kind and of. a better shooter. And and his three point shooting is it's is the best year of his career as far as his three point shooting has gone. So one thing I will say is looking at how Dylan Brooks has played this season, it does make me more confident in James Jones's ability to identify talent that maybe is being underutilized in their current position because Dylan Brooks as you said was not very good last season now of course with a true point guard uh, in John Morant one of the already one of the best point guards in the NBA so somehow now Dylan Brooks is actually being used properly and and actually he's a great player I mean they're they're a legitimate playoff team and a team that if, if you had to ask me right now would be the team that would make the playoffs and that's a good sign, you know, and that's that's why I was more confident looking at Luke Kennard. It just kind of made sense. This guy could actually become a better player, and you have those bird rights. You have the ability of maxing, or matching him in restricted free agency. That Luke Kennard trade is a trade that I would have done as well, just to get back to you saying you would have done it. And I still think that's something they could possibly look at this offseason and see if that's something that they want to do. Well, yeah, but see, the thing that's frustrating to me, though, is you talk about James Jones being able to identify talent that is being underutilized. And kind of getting back to the the point I was going to say earlier, like, here are guys who were moved at the trade deadline for second round picks. Obviously, my guy Alec Burks is number one, you know, I'm going to ride that train a little bit uh, more. Yeah, he, and he's, that was a good trade. He's too. had a good season. But but it's not just him. Glenn Robinson, the third was moved for a second round pick. James Ennis was moved for a second round pick. Jordan McRae, who wasn't very good on the Suns a few years ago, but is now that exactly what you're talking about, Mike, is that dual playmaking right. type kind of shooting guard mold. For the Wizards, a bad team, but underutilized potentially. He was moved uh, for Shabazz Napier in a, in a pretty simple swap. Scalabissier, a, a big man that you can pick up for depth when you're so desperately hurting uh, for big man depth, was traded for cash. Like, these were guys who were obviously on the block because they were moved for cash considerations or second-round picks. And from my understanding of James Jones as a GM so far, I wasn't under the impression that he really gives a shit about things like second-round picks. So I thought he would have been more than willing to make a move like that, bring in some bench help, uh, and potentially help the Suns get a few more wins down the stretch in this regular season, but evidently not. Yeah, I wonder, you know, the the way that they utilize those second-round picks will be interesting going forward because they had the opportunity to make those moves that you said, because Alec Burks, like you said, would be a nice... That'd be a nice pickup. And I think if you look at who they were shopping, it was Elliot Kobo and Javon Carter. They don't look at those guys... <laughs> as potential fixes for that backup point guard position. I think they value Ty Jerome in that same way. And uh, they're looking at sort of a long-term development on him. And of course, we all know there's that Jalen LeCue <laughs> just mm. kind of looming here. He's a 19-year-old. He's, he's a high schooler, basically, who still has potential to, to be that guy in the future if he can be properly developed. And if you've seen some of the highlights of what Jalen LeCue has done recently, I understand why they look at him that way. But I think you're right. I... I I'm not, I will be honest, as the trade deadline went on, 
I wasn't overly disappointed with what happened. And by that, I mean, I didn't want Kevin Love. <laughs> you know, I didn't. There were, there were players well, out there that I was kind of worried that they would make the moves for that I was, uh, you know, I'm glad those didn't happen. Sometimes not making a move is okay. It's just the bench. That, that's really where I wanted something that could help so these guys aren't playing 40 yeah. minutes a night for the rest of the season. Yeah, exactly. And, and we're 14 minutes into this episode now. We haven't even mentioned this guy's name yet. For me, it was never about D'Angelo Russell. It was, like, I, I, think, I think you'd be a little bit of an idiot to not worry at all about D'Angelo Russell and Carl. You'd be a little bit of an idiot to not worry about two things. One, the fact that D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns are now teammates, and they ex- have explicitly said in the past that all three of them will be teammates at some point in their careers, and now two of them are in one market. That is not Phoenix. That is worrisome. On another level, the fact that Devin Booker's former agent is now the president of the New York Knicks basically every player's dream destination for whatever reason, I guess because of the garden and the legacy of New York and being in that big market, and is also the agent of not only Devin Booker, but also Carl Anthony Towns. I think those two things are very serious threats, but it's not the fact that I wanted the Suns to make a a godfather offer for uh, D'Angelo Russell and trade someone like Kelly Oubre in the process. I'm sure they could have gotten him that way, but that's not necessarily what I want to do. It's that you need to indulge Booker's desire to win in some other way then. If Booker sees one of his best friends going to play with another one of his best friends, you can't really counter by doing nothing. That It was the general passivity of James Jones that was concerning to me, not his lack of interest in D'Angelo Russell. See, part part of me wonders if that's the reason it's so hard for them to make a move. I, I feel like there's the Suns don't have a lot of leverage. I understand that the picks are pretty valuable because the Suns have one of the worst records in the NBA, so that becomes valuable. But I do feel like a lot of teams look at the Suns and say, they're desperate, we can extract more out of them than they want to give up. And that makes James Jones less likely to make a move. It's really hard to criticize... Overall, it's really hard to criticize or to even say that they did a good job without knowing what was out there. The one thing that we know was potentially out there was the Luke Kennard trade. And depending if they said we're not going to do it unless that pick is unprotected, I understand the fear of doing that. And that's not necessarily based on the fact that they're confident in the draft. There's also the actual potential of that pick being more valuable to trade in the future if they want to use it as a trade chip in the future. So I, I do understand why they kind of held back on that one. And, you know, one thing I will say, I do like the players that they're targeting. If you're going to target players, you want a player that can play beside Devin Booker or Ricky Rubio, and I think that's what they're doing. They're they're looking at these type of combo guards that can do both of those things, and that's the right decision. So uh, I think going forward in the offseason, we kind of know what they're going to look at. They're going to look at players like that. And I think as Suns fans, and Sam, for me and you, as people who do a podcast, those are the type of players that we're going to be looking at as well and see what they can get there. I got one more question for you before we wrap up this discussion on, on the trade deadline, because I feel like sure. we've got a touch on it. We missed a lot last week, just trying to keep you guys up to speed. There was a rumor out there that Kelly Oubre was being shopped. Yeah. Um, do you buy or sell? Well, I actually, I believe it. I, I, I believe it. I'll say that. And, and I just think it's smart. I think it's smart. You have him on, under contract for a year and a half. And this, this is not to say that Kelly Urbe is not a great player. I think he is. I think so much of how he fits on this team is uh, dependent on uh, how he shoots the three-pointer because of that spacing. Uh, and just that makes a huge difference for this team if he can hit that three-pointer on a regular basis. So, I, I, you know, but I will say if you only have him under contract for a year and a half and if you value your cap space in 2021 for some reason, I still don't really fully <laughs> understand exactly who... We're getting Giannis. 
Yeah, I, you know, maybe they're going to try and make a run at Giannis. Or, you know, I don't know exactly who that's going to be, but it's clear that they value that cap space in 2021. And I think part of that is because the arena is going to be built and they have a new practice facility at that time. And there's just a nice way to make a sales pitch to a free agent in that offseason. So I think that's probably why they value it. But if you value that cap space and, and you're a little unsure of what you're going to do with it, then now is the height of Kelly Oubre Jr.'s value. He's playing very well. He's got a year and a half left. It's not an expiring deal, right? Next off or next trade deadline, he's just got a few months left on his contract, and then you're going to have to pay him. So as far as trade value goes, you're not going to get a lot for him at that point if you do end up deciding that you want to move him. Now, I will say this. He's been incredible <laughs> for the last few weeks. He's been incredible. After he sort of shook off that concussion where that was clearly affecting his shooting for for a little bit. He's been really great. Uh, so I just think it's smart to just see what's out there. Uh, it's it kind of what sucks about it more than anything else is that it got out as a story. Uh, but I think a lot of NBA guys just understand that that just happens. Like you're going to be in trade talks every year because especially if you're good, it's like it's almost a compliment in a, in a weird way. So you know I, I'm not. It doesn't bother me that he was out there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would have been disappointed. Like you and I on Twitter, Sam, we talked about it. Supposedly the Orlando Magic. I think there was some talk about there about Orlando being interested. And uh, we talked about how we would not have made that move if it was for Aaron Gordon. And I, and I do want to clarify that. The reason I would not want to make that move for Aaron Gordon is because what Aaron Gordon does well, most of the time... Kelly Oubre does better, <laughs> you know, like he's mostly better at that. Now, maybe he's not as athletic and maybe he's slightly worse of a defender, but I think he's a better offensive player so far in his career. And I, and I have more faith in Kelly Oubre being a great player going forward than I do in Aaron Gordon. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad they didn't make that trade. Yeah, so am I. Uh, but I understand what you're saying. You have to do due diligence. Um, due yeah. diligence, excuse me. Um, and I think it's more about just fielding calls on Kelly Oubre is kind of how I interpreted it. I didn't interpret it as the Suns are calling up every team in the league to ask, what do you think Kelly Oubre's value is? Uh, yeah. Which implies sort of more actively shopping him. I think my only worry uh, when I saw that tweet was that, oh, God, are they considering like, you know, swapping him for a different number three? Like, are they going to move Kelly Oubre to try and get Kevin Love? Which for a split second, I was afraid maybe James Jones would try to do something like that. Yeah, me um, too. Yeah. That, I have, in a weird way, that's why I was ha- kind of happy that nothing was done. <laughs> because I was so terrified of that. And, you know, that's not, it's not a great sign. But it's just, it is, I am a fan of a team that's been rooting for a team that has Robert Sarver as an owner for a while. So those panic moves are still something that just kind of terrifies me a little bit. So uh, in a sense, that's the one reason that I was kind of happy that nothing went down. Although, you know, it's just those big moves are kind of terrifying. Whereas um, smaller moves on the fringes, I think I would have been happy with. And I guess you're kind of happy that they just saw what was out there as well. Not, Not necessarily happy, but you understand why. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's just it just makes sense. It's 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 a difficult situation for the players a lot of times, but it just makes sense. And uh, yeah, let's get to player of the week. Unless you have anything else on the trade deadline, Sam? No, I think we basically covered it. Uh... All right, this week, player of the week. Our segment has a sponsor for the first time ever, Sam. So our sponsor for this week is BetOnline.ag, presenting player of the week. BetOnline.ag is your online sportsbook expert. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a 50% welcome bonus for BetOnline.ag. Sam, who is your player of the week? 
My player of the week uh, actually wasn't so simple because I think, let's be honest, there's only four or five like consistently pretty good NBA players on this team right now, and all of them have had a pretty good week. You know, Mikhail Bridges starting to pick up his confidence a little bit. Devin Booker's had some great games. Kelly Oubre dropped 39 uh, to, to help take down the Rockets um, in enormous fashion. But the only guy that I can realistically give this to this week is DeAndre Ayton. And, um, you know, it's actually interesting because about a week ago, I wrote my most recent column for Bright Side of the Sun about DeAndre Ayton. And right. it was immediately after the loss to Milwaukee when he scored something like 20 points, but it took him 27 shots to get there. And it, it was kind of the worst of DeAndre Ayton this season, kind of the epitome of empty stats. Uh, and I talked in that game about how important it is uh, for DeAndre Ayton to actually dribble. Uh, that it's not a bad thing for him to establish post positioning um, or face up positioning even from about 15 feet out as he likes to do and to make that a staple of his offense as long as he's willing to actually dribble the ball uh, and make a move towards the basket and to his credit I think we've seen that a hell of a lot more these past several games and in DeAndre Ayton's last five games he's averaging some crazy numbers 22 points 14 rebounds three and a half assists, and two blocks per game on 54% shooting. The shooting, I think, uh, is is going to get even a little bit better as he goes on because his offense continues to get better and better uh, with time this season. But overall, those are crazy numbers. No doubt he's had a huge impact. Even in the game against Houston when he only scored 12 points, uh, he had an amazing impact defensively against that team. Uh, kind of the, the Rockets, you know, as we know, the benefit, if there is any, especially after the Rockets traded away Clint Capella, is that you don't have to guard the entire floor against them. It's either going to be at the rim or the three-point line. And when DeAndre Ayton plays with the defensive impact that we're currently seeing from him, it actually scares offensive players off from challenging him at the rim in the first place, kind of creating a situation where Houston's only offense was the three. So if you can get them on a bad night where they shoot only 25-30% from deep and they're jacking up 40 or 50 attempts in the game— you have a pretty easy win. And a lot of that is thanks to DeAndre Ayton, even if he did only score 12 points. So he's my player of the week for sure. That is an excellent pick. And I think that was the obvious pick as well. He he has gotten to a point where it, it's it's just not surprising when he plays really great defense. And I think that's something that I didn't expect this early. And and I think that you have to take a look at his, his season in an interesting aspect because you have to discount that there was a 25 game break there in the middle of it where he didn't play. So where he's at developmentally in this season, it's pretty amazing like how, how well he's doing. And I think a lot of the credit should be given uh, to the coaching staff with, of course, Monty Williams and his coaching staff. They're doing a great job with DeAndre Ayton. He's contesting at the perimeter. He understands when to switch. He understands when to hedge. He's getting guys at the rim to either kick it out where he's forcing them to just be completely afraid of that shot just as you talked about with Houston and of course with Houston they're not going to take the mid-range as you said so they're going to shoot that three and if it's not James Harden then go ahead it's it's beat us that way if you can beat us that way you can beat us uh and it's just he's gotten to a point where I'm just really confident in him contesting shots at the rim or even guarding the perimeter and as I talked about earlier in the season, I've been relatively impressed with his defense throughout this season, and I've been less concerned with his offense, although it is mildly concerning. And I just was confident that the offense would get there, and it's starting to get there. It's starting to get there in a way that uh, hopefully is sustainable going forward, just understanding chemistry with his teammates. He's got a really great chemistry with uh, Devin Booker. They Absolutely. look really good on the floor together. They're really finding, well, Devin Booker's finding DeAndre Ayton, and DeAndre Ayton 
even the passing is getting better. Like his assists are going up uh, pretty regularly here. I've just been really impressed with him so far, and I hope that he can uh, continue with this throughout the season. Something that I mentioned this morning uh, on Twitter, but but I'll reiterate here, is that it almost reminds... Like, we're starting to get to a point where DeAndre Ayton, in, in some due time, could be the best player on the Suns roster. And if you asked me that even two or three weeks ago, I, I think I would have thought you were crazy. But... You know, I don't necessarily mean best in terms of the way we typically think about the best player, you know, who gets the most media right. coverage. I, what I did who on Twitter. creates their most shots. I yeah. compared it to Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And, and obviously that's a little bit more of extreme of a version than what we're dealing here with Booker and Aiden. But Booker is going to continue for the foreseeable future to get more media coverage than DeAndre Ayton because he's a Kobe-esque scorer who just puts the ball on the floor, and, and he's a killer in that sense, and he's going to get a lot of clutch baskets. People are going to see a lot of highlights of him. They're not going to see as many highlights of DeAndre Ayton. But the way in which we're starting to see DeAndre impact the game, he's not there yet, but he really does have a chance to be a more impactful player than Booker, even if his offense is slightly worse and he can't quite create for himself because of uh, what he's doing on defense. And kind of to speak to that, if you look at all three of the major impact stats right now, player impact plus minus uh, from the basketball index, um, box score plus minus from from basketball reference, and a real plus minus from ESPN. All three of them, Booker is a little bit better. He's got a slight edge, but it's getting really close. And I don't think I expected it to be uh, this close already. Aiton right. is like a solid right. number two. He's right behind him. Again, the offense isn't there, but there's such a wide gap between those two players in terms of what they're doing defensively uh, that realistically within another year or two, I wouldn't be shocked at this point if Aiton sort of is the go-bear of the Suns uh, in that he really drives the team's entire system if he improves to that point defensively uh, and has some offensive skills and finesse in the post to boot. There's two types of DeAndre Aiton games where you can you can kind of tell how it's going to go in the first few possessions of the game if he looks passive if he looks afraid of contact if he looks afraid of the big man that's guarding him he's gonna take a few outside shots early in the game and you can kind of tell how it's gonna go the rest of the game and there's the other types of games where he's clearly i think the dallas game was probably the best example and then of course this denver game that just happened where he's clearly making a concerted effort to get into the paint and put pressure on the defense in a way that he should every single game. And as the season goes along, there's more of that second type of game than the first type of game that I'm saying. And you know what? We should I should probably do this on Twitter. I should keep track of if this was one of those games or one of those games where it's like really good. Uh, because that's who he is. And if he can if he can become that player that he is in the Dallas game or that he was in the Denver game, that's that's like a superstar that's that's a star player in the nba that's a guy who makes a massive difference towards winning on both ends of the floor and there's not a lot of those guys there's especially at the center position really there's only i guess there's joel Embiid. you know this is something that i wanted to talk to you about is he a top five center at this point or or do you think of him as a top five center at this point and that's hard to say i i well i'll say right now i don't yet Um, but i'm happy to indulge the question i I think we should talk about it uh, well, the statistics are interesting, right? Because yeah. at this point, he's averaging 18 points and 12 rebounds. Right. That's pretty impressive. And then if you look at the rim protection statistics, he's right up there. And of course, there's Joel Embiid, who I think is, at points, the best center in the league the last 10 games or so, maybe not. Of course, there's Nikola Jokic, who we just saw. And I think you have to say Bam Adebayo is up there. 
Um, and then I don't know if you count Anthony Davis or if you even count Giannis. There's other guys I think that don't really count I think in Anthony, that discussion. Rudy Gobert. If you play center on a regular basis at this point, then you count. Uh, like if you start. And Anthony Davis doesn't, right? <laughs> in his mind, he doesn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, yes, I just meant in the sense that like Giannis obviously doesn't count. Like Brooke Lopez is the right. center of that team. Uh, I right. would count Anthony Davis. I would count a guy like uh, Lamarcus Aldridge. Say, I'm not saying he's top five, but I'm saying he's right, he's right, maybe right. a natural bodied power forward who plays center. Um, but I, I think Jokic, Towns, Embiid, Anthony Davis, Gobert, and Bam. Yeah, that's probably the probably the just just there. those first four names: Jokic, Towns, Embiid, and Davis. That's tier one. Um, but then I'd also put, I'd put Aiton maybe in tier, he's still behind, he's in like tier 2B or even th- tier 3. He's behind Gobert and Bam for sure, because Gobert is the best defensive player of his generation and, and Bam is getting there soon. He's getting there fast. Um, even after those six, so that right there puts Aiton out of the top five. Uh, I, I think you can make an argument for a lot of guys that potentially come close to pushing Aiton out of the top 10, like Sabonis. Uh, you know, Steven Adams, I think, still has a case. Nikola Vucevic. There's Carl Car- Anthony Towns, too, if you think of him as a center. Oh, Towns, I included. Towns is in Towns yeah. is in the top four. He's with he's with Jokic and Embiid. He's a superstar for sure. Yeah. But, like, Sabon- I think Aiton is in the tier with uh, DeMontis Sabonis, Steven Adams, Nikola Vucevic, Andre Drummond, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge. He's with those guys. He's, you know, maybe can be a reserve all-star. He's definitely having an impact on your team. He deserves a sizable salary whenever his rookie contract uh, comes to an end. But he's not a superstar yet. He could definitely right. get there, though. Um, so, I, you know, I think he's somewhere in that 7 to 10 range right now, maybe towards the back half. Yeah, and I think that's that's a fair place to put him at this point. And I think that if he can continue doing what he's doing recently, like you talked about in the last five games... That's just the guy who you have to look at as a as a potential top center in the league, and and it just you really hope to see it because it just makes such a massive difference for this team. And uh, you know, it, it, it we talked about early in this. Actually, we've probably been talking about it for basically two years at this point, Sam. Where the biggest difference to this team is if they find someone who is better than Devin Booker, and if we could talk about him as a, a player that sort of advanced statistics say he's a more impactful player that's how you become a contender that's how you become a playoff player and and you know there are players on this team that are good and there are players that are maybe not so good uh and there are moves that uh james jones needs to make but if deandre Ayton becomes that player those moves are a lot easier than if he does it right i mean a whole lot more pressure is placed on devin booker's shoulders if he has to actually be the kobe bryant of your team if he can right. be the ray allen or the Rip Hamilton, uh, you know, I'm struggling to come up with a perfect comparison, but but basically not right. primary number one option on a contender. That's your goal. Uh, you want to kind of lessen the pressure uh, on him Penny Hardaway? as How much as that? possible. Penny Hardaway is not, not a bad comparison. I don't know. It's so hard to compare guys from 20 years ago at this point because it's right. like someone said the other day, what was I doing? Um, I was talking about on Twitter, some guard, and I can't even remember who it was, but someone was like, uh, is this player like Ginobili? And I was like, well, I don't even know what Manu Ginobili in 2020 looks yeah. like. You know, does Manu Ginobili... Bogdan. What'd you say? Bogdan. Bogdan. Oh, like Bogdan. I that was the player, Yeah, I was right? like, does, does Manu Ginobili in 2020 just sit behind the three-point line and shoot step backs? Like, the, the NBA is so crazy these days, you don't even know. Um, but yeah, over, <laughs> overall point being, lessen the pressure on Booker as much as possible. If you can find someone magically... 
who is better than him, then that's a game changer because we see how hard it is to make trades. You might have to forfeit a potential top five pick just to get Luke Kennard. You really think this team has the right. treasure chest of assets at this point to pull off a magical trade for right. a superstar? I'm sorry, right. but there's just teams out there with better packages. And to James Jones's credit, he said, you know, in an athletic interview with Gina Maizel, very good interview. Just after the trade deadline, he did say that the, the purpose of the rest of the season is to focus on development. And I think really they're talking about DeAndre. And of course, they're talking about other players as well. But the ceiling of this team is just really tied to the development of DeAndre Aitens. And, and if he continues to do what he's been doing for the last five or so games, that's pretty damn good. And I'm pretty confident in him. My player of the week, I uh, switched it up because we already talked about D'Angelo Russell. I was going to talk about D'Angelo Russell uh, in this segment just quickly because we should talk about it. But since we already got that over with, I do want to give a shout out to Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre in the last five games is averaging 25 points per game. That's insane. Uh, And that puts him in the last five games at like 14th in the NBA. Here's a crazy stat. In the last five games, Damian Lillard is averaging 37.6 points. And Bradley Beal is averaging 37.4 points. That's pretty insane, uh, just for some context. Another guy who's a 2021 free agent, by the way. That's right. That's right. Is there Uh, any chance that within another year and a half, Kelly Oubre is as good as Brad Beal, that you would not want the upgrade anymore? That's probably pretty crazy, right? I don't think there's any chance that Kelly Oubre (laughs) can average like five or six assists a game. Yeah, it's it's hard. The kind of feel for the game that assists and passing... uh, that kind of improvement that's really hard to do it's like really hard to teach it's it's like a natural feel for the game so i would doubt that but scoring wise i i don't think so either bradley beal's pretty unbelievable uh but kelly Oubre, just to give him a shout out 25 points per game uh and i think the more the most impressive stat is the three point percentage which is 48.7 percent three point percentage he shot 11 threes in the denver game and he only made three of them but i think it's so important. I, I, I don't care. You're three for 11 for three. You shot 11 threes. That's good for the team. These guys haven't been shooting mm-hmm. threes lately. I actually saw an interview, and I'm sure everyone saw it, where DeAndre Ayton made a joke about shooting a three in the Houston game. But in that, like I always talk about DeAndre Ayton interviews. They're always funny but kind of useless. But there's always, <laughs> there's always some of the coaching. You can hear the coaching through what he's saying. And in that interview... He said that the coaches showed them that they were 30th in the league in three-point attempts over some period of time, probably the last few months or something, and how they needed to shoot more threes. And you saw it, of course, in the Houston game where they bombed threes, especially in that first quarter. They shot a lot of threes. And then, of course, Kelly Oubre shooting a lot more, and, and even in that Denver game, more than normal. 11 threes by Kelly Oubre, that's just how often does that happen? It's just not common. And I just really appreciate him, of course, making them is important. But even just shooting them, I just really appreciate that he's shooting them. And and 25 points a game with 48% shooting. And even his three-point shooting is higher than his field goal percentage, which is 47%. Uh, He he just puts a lot of pressure on the team. And I I just like when he's doing the sort of Maury ball style threes are at the rim only. It just makes a massive difference for this team. And he's been very, uh, very good for the team in the last five games. So shout out to Kelly Oubre, my player of the week. Any thoughts on Kelly? I echo all of your points. Um, The thing about Kelly is that he takes that aggression that he plays with and he applies it to every aspect of his game. It's not just aggression to drive uh, and attack the rim. It's aggression in three-point shooting. You can be an aggressive three-point shooter in that 
I think Kelly is more willing than any other player on this team, and you can take this as a good or a bad thing if you will. I'm choosing to take it as a good thing. He's more willing than any other player on the team to kind of take those contested threes. You know, he's not afraid of closeouts. Um, As long as he's been making them, that's fine. Uh, Guys like Mikhail Bridges, it's nice to see that Mikhail Bridges' three-point shooting is... um, slowly increasing over the course of the season but he's still afraid to shoot it unless he's wide open even cam johnson who might have the greenest light of anyone on this team i don't see him chucking up threes in the the same way that i do with kelly Oubre sometimes right uh, who routinely has a guy closing out on him and he's still burying it in their face anyway so there is something it's easy to say this when he's playing so well but there is something admirable about that yes absolutely i think that uh we when when it's just Devin Booker, right, willing to shoot those shots, the tough shots, that becomes really hard for him uh, to take all that pressure. When you have another guy that's willing to take those tough shots, either late in the shot clock or sometimes in transition, that's good for the team because that puts a lot of pressure on the defense. And I'm not sure what he has against Paul Millsap, but turning down <laughs> that open three to absolute bang one on Paul Millsap's head was insane, and I really loved it. I, you, you just got to love it. It's very Amari... Stoudemire like where you just you're going at a guy who was at one point in the defensive player of the year conversation at one point of his career and just putting it right on his brain so I really love that and that's it that's our player of the week segment sponsored by betonline.ag remember use promo code blue wire all one word for 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag we're going to take a quick break and we have a lot more to talk about after this Ever see an untucked button-down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. And with more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. They actually fit perfect on my frame. You can choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. And with Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, they'll never look bulgy or too long or too big again. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. This week in Suns history, on February 15th, 2009, Shaquille O'Neal won co-MVP of the All-Star Game alongside former teammate Kobe Bryant. Join me in congratulating Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal as the co-MVPs of the 2009 NBA All-Star Game. This was Shaq's final appearance in the All-Star Game, and it was the first time he and Kobe had shared the court as teammates since losing in the 2004 Finals. You know, it felt like old times. Missed those times. Congratulations, greatest. Congratulations, the most dominant. When Shaq checked in as a reserve in the first quarter, the East held a 20-10 lead, but O'Neal's presence sparked a 19-0 run. Who says there's no defense in the All-Star game? Shaq played just 11 minutes in the game, but finished with 17 points and 5 rebounds on 8-9 of shooting, while Kobe had 27 and 4 steals. 
despite having had at least one player in 37 different All-Star games, no member of the Phoenix Suns has ever won All-Star MVP besides Shaquille O'Neal. Shout out to the Big Cactus. Big thanks once again to Cody James Hunt on Twitter, a good friend of ours and the official researcher for this podcast, basically, uh, for finding all of our excellent uh, This Week in Suns history over the last few weeks. Make sure to follow Cody online on Twitter at CO underscore D Hunt. Cody is an awesome follow, always posting interesting stuff and questions about the Phoenix Suns. All right, Sam, you got a question in one of your inboxes over the last week that you wanted to talk about on this podcast. Uh, What was that question? Yeah, well, people occasionally send us questions. This one was a DM through Reddit. Uh, You guys can always feel free to do that. If it's interesting enough, we'll talk about it on the podcast. In this case, this is coming from user Ramsey's Summer Camp, uh, and he wanted to know, he says, with no improvement to the roster after the trade deadline, uh, Monty will need to play our starters for 40-plus minutes a night to barely even have a shot at winning against bad teams. What's worse, shutting Booker down or making him play in humiliating losses all season? And now, see, this was sent to me a few days ago, so I think the wording of it <laughs> is a little bit harsh. It was sent before right. that 40-point blowout over Houston and a pretty good game over Denver. But I think the basic subject of it pretty much rings true. He's he's worried about the playing time for these starters, and he's wondering if there's a certain point this season at which you would consider shutting anyone down, um, or you know, if potentially one of these guys could end up with an injury that would forcibly shut them down. I mean, that's always possible, but yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I hate to say that, uh, but it's always possible. Who knows when Frank Kaminsky or Aaron Baines is even going to be back, uh, or even Dario Saric? We haven't heard a lot about what's going on with him but i just i will say about that question and then of course i'll let you answer your answer he actually asked you not me but uh, (laughs) i think that there's no point that you should shut anyone down this season we are past that the suns are not that type of team anymore maybe there's a point in the season where if you are definitively out of the playoff race that you start limiting guys' minutes in order to properly develop some guys at the end of the bench to see what you have going forward like giving Ty Jerome 15 minutes a game to see what he can do with 15 minutes a game. Maybe there is a point where that happens. But in my opinion, should you be concerned about the minutes? Yeah. I mean, we just talked about it with DeAndre Ayton. This is a guy who last year could barely play 35 minutes. He just played 42 minutes in the second night of a back-to-back, and he had to to even keep it within 10 points. That was something that happened yesterday, the day before we recorded this. So should you be worried about it? Yeah, probably, yeah. But should we get to the point where we're shutting down players? Are we still that franchise where that's something that we do? No, not in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he he asked me, not you, but uh, you gave basically (laughs) the same exact answer I was going to give anyway, so I don't think it matters. I mean, uh, the stated intention of this team is to compete, maybe not make the playoffs. James Jones seems okay with with the Suns being where they at. Uh, where they are at right now, but just not a tanking team. Um, And so I I never think you'd be able to get Monty Williams to buy into the strategy of shutting anyone down. I don't expect them to shut anyone down at this point in the season. And truthfully, I do think this problem will naturally go away if you can just get one or two more of these bench guys back. Um, It hurts. Yeah. Because in the meantime, we don't have any updates on them. And, you know, some of them, Frank Kaminsky has a stress fracture in his knee. 
Um, I think there's a solid chance that he's going to miss a substantial amount of time. Dario Saric, hopefully, will. I think his was just an ankle injury. I would hope, just speculating, that he comes back a little bit sooner. Not that Monty is probably thrilled about playing him in the first place because he hasn't been all season, but it's better than what we have right now. Um, but yeah, so just to answer the question, there is, there are no circumstances under which anyone is going to be shut down. Um, but I do think development can play a role at a certain point. And I am worried about the playing time that these guys are currently logging. Uh, because the other thing it does, Mike, honestly, is it creates these scapegoats where Suns fans are so incensed by the expectations that they developed for themselves when the team started out the season seven and four they want to make the playoffs so badly that now that the team only has five or six nba caliber players they're just kind of rotating between those guys at at who to point their finger at and right now the guy suns fans are most commonly pointing their finger at is ricky rubio Uh, rubio's last 10 games he's I'll, i'll admit you know he's been bad he's averaging eight points and six assists on 35 percent shooting 25 percent from deep uh, over his past 10 games he has not looked like you know i even saw some users on twitter uh, maybe this was a joke maybe it wasn't i'm not sure but comparing him uh, calling him the spanish isaiah canaan <laughs> no, that's wrong <laughs> but you know it looks at this point in the season increasingly unlikely that he can get back to just a couple of weeks ago we were talking about him averaging a career high in scoring doesn't look like he's going to get back to that point now However, he's averaging close to four more minutes per game than he was last season for the Jazz, you know, and he's only getting older. And this just seems like an obvious case of wear and tear to me. It doesn't really make sense to point your fingers at this guy. It's not his fault that there's no suitable backup to come in and kind of relieve pressure off him off the bench. If anyone, uh, look, if there's anyone to point a finger at, again, it's James Jones for not getting bench help. But at a certain point, that's a dead horse and I can't keep beating it. We need to look forward and not backward. Well, I, I do want to t- quickly touch on Ricky Rubio. I just think that if you look at the the actual numbers for this team, Ricky Rubio is involved with all of the best lineups for this team now. He just does things that contribute. I think that a lot of people will look at end-of-game scenarios if he has a turnover, if he has a bad play, and they put that all on him. But, uh, I mean, that could be considered a problem with the amount of minutes they're playing as well. This is the type of thing that maybe they shouldn't be doing. Maybe they shouldn't be playing as many minutes as they are. And that's Ricky Rubio getting older as well. Out of all the starting lineup, he's a guy that's probably playing the least amount of minutes so far anyway. And that's probably good. Uh, especially, there's been some lineups with Elia Kobo in Ricky Rubio's place that have looked relatively good over the last few games. And if they can continue that, uh, that's pretty good. In fact, some interesting lineups. I'm getting off topic here. But with Javon Carter, Elia Kobo, and Devin Booker, three-guard lineups that actually somehow looked uh, pretty good over the last few games. And we'll see if those are sustainable. But... I mean, no matter what, if you look at the numbers, the starting lineup that we're going to talk about after we uh, talk about this question here, Ricky Rubio is involved in that, and it's a very good lineup. It's doing very well. One thing I'll say about James Jones not making any moves, I think that's an indication that these guys are coming back relatively soon from injury. We don't get a lot of news about this. Obviously, we have no idea. But I think that they, if they thought that these guys, uh, Aaron Baines, Dario Saric, Frank Kaminsky were going to be out for extended periods of time. I think that it makes it more likely that they would have made some moves. I think they're confident that after the All-Star break, we're going to get some of these guys back and we're going to finally get a chance to see this team at full health and see what it looks like when they're healthy. I hope that's true. I'm only speculating, but I mean, the signs kind of point to that. I think if you look at the interview uh, that he did with with The Athletic, it kind of points to that. that That's something that he wants to see. So, For the sake uh, of both parties... 
you would hope that those guys are coming back soon because it's actually kind of interesting from, uh, I don't know, a psychological perspective. Who are the guys that we're waiting on to come back right now? Tyler Johnson, Aaron Baines, Darius Saric. What do those guys have in common? They're all free agents this summer. Right. Beyond that, something we haven't really touched on, Gambo said over the radio this week that the Suns don't really intend to bring Dario Sarge back. It doesn't look like they're making him uh, a long-term investment, at least right now. And you can debate that with me if, if you think that that's not the case. But from everything I've seen, it, it definitely looks like that's the case. So these are three guys. I'm not sure if the Suns are bringing back any of them next summer with the, uh, with the way the season's going right now, which means they need to play kind of uh, on tryouts for new teams. They need to, I mean, if you're Tyler Johnson, you just want a spot in the NBA the way you've played this season. So all three of them need to come yeah. back and, and kind of actually contribute to this bench. Right. It'll help the Suns win games, but also help them get paid. That's right. That's right. They, they need to make that money. <laughs> and, you know, Aaron Baines, I think, will get a contract no matter what because of how impressive he was. And I think he was forced into a situation that he shouldn't have been where he's playing starter-level minutes. Not just starter-level minutes, but probably the most productive player on the Suns team-level minutes where we just needed him to win games. And I think most people will still view him as a potential backup center that could do well in minutes in that situation. And, you know, maybe that's what they should have done at some point when he was playing so well early in the season. It just would be nice to watch Aaron Baines again, right? (laughs) I mean, he's fun to watch and he does a good job anchoring the defense and he still has that stroke. I still believe in it, although it wasn't going very well before they finally shut him down. I think that's probably one of the reasons they did. I won't lie. I have a soft spot for Sheck Diallo minutes. Yeah, but he 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 is annoying to watch at the same time. He's no a shit. bad defender. <laughs> well, it was it was in <laughs> he the just Houston. Is. He kind of is. Yeah, he he is. But he isn't meant to be a center. First of all, in his defense, right. he isn't meant to be a center. He isn't always a bad defender. Sometimes sometimes I think he helps. He's just not strong. Um, I do think it was kind of funny because I was praising Sheck the other day. He had 14 points in the game against Houston. Uh, was basically a nice little pick and roll threat. Uh, Lots of garbage time points there, though. <laughs> well, and in garbage time, what was funny about it is he had three offensive three-second violations in a row in the fourth quarter. <laughs> like, he got, they got him going a little bit, you know, with a—he can even kind of hit a mid-range jumper. So they gave it to him in the post a few times, and, and he was doing work. But then, obviously, not a guy that you can run your offense through, even on a bench unit, because he just—so much of the game hasn't come to him yet, and, and he's such a raw player, evidenced by those turnovers— but an interesting third string guy, uh, nonetheless. The Suns could definitely and the, use. And the Suns have a, a team option they do. on Czech Diallo next year. And I think that's such a low risk type of guy that you should keep on the team. So I, I think they probably will. Uh, a third big man, he just makes sense. And I, I actually do think they might try to re sign Aaron Baines as well. It's just nice to have a guy like that. I know the injuries are a problem, but if you can continue to develop. Uh, Sheck, then, and and hopefully DeAndre Ayton doesn't get suspended for 25 games next year. Uh, Aaron Baines's role is still nice there, and we'll see what they do. I think this this offseason is going to matter a lot because of the pressure they put on themselves mm-hmm. by not making any moves at this trade deadline. So now the, this offseason, I saw a lot of Suns fans that said, you know, I won't get mad yet, but if they don't do anything this offseason, you know, and I think that kind of attitude is is I understand why they feel that way. Uh, because there's just a lot of pressure. And, and you know, looking at the minutes that these guys are playing, that's the type of thing that you probably should be thinking. But I still think I'm just very interested to see this team with more NBA players. I still think Dario Saric, f- maybe he's not the center. And we're going to talk about the starting lineup, or I'm sorry, the starting power forward for this team. But he's still an NBA player. Aaron Baines For clearly sure. an NBA player, clearly. and even even Frank Kaminsky. You know, you can you can argue about Tyler Johnson at this point 
there are times where he does not look like an NBA player, but there's times <laughs> that he does. And I think the same could probably be said about Frank Kaminsky, but in the right role, I think he makes sense. No, Frank Frank is definitely an NBA player. But but real quick, because you didn't give your answer on it, is Dario gone this summer? What do you think? Oh, it's all signs are pointing to right? yes, that yeah. he is gone. And here's why. And this is the starting lineup. We've been teasing this. We want to talk about it. The starting lineup, we've been talking about this lineup for a long time. I think even at the beginning of the season is now we're starting both Mikhail Bridges and Kelly Oubre at the forward positions, sort of interchangeably. The, the idea with the starting lineup, you could say Mikhail Bridges is a power forward, and it, he kind of is, but there are times where Kelly Oubre is guarding the power forward. There are times where Mikhail Bridges is guarding the power forward, and I think the advantage of this lineup is you could mostly switch uh, between Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, and Mikhail Bridges, and that's kind of a nice thing where those three guys can switch on screens. That's a nice starting lineup, and I, it looks like a type of starting lineup that when we had Ger- Gerald Bourget on the podcast for a Player of the Week segment a few weeks ago, about a month ago probably, uh, he said that he thought maybe this wouldn't be a good starting lineup because it's not sustainable. It appears to be sustainable at this point. Now, we have not seen a lot of minutes, and you have some stats on here, Sam. At, at one point before the Denver game, it was the lineup that had played over 150 minutes that was the best lineup in the NBA by net rating. It's now fifth after that Denver game. It's still plus 15. That's a very, very good lineup. And when you look at it, you can kind of say there's not a lot of shooting in it. That's probably not going to be a good offensive lineup. Here's the thing. It is uh, second in offensive rating in the NBA at 122. That's really good. Uh, and, and you know I think this is why Dario Saric is being pushed uh, away from the team because I think that if they can find him, if they can find a role for him as a backup power forward, that might be they might be willing to keep him on the team. But do you think that's what he wants? No, not at all. I think he still wants to kind of stumble through the league looking for a spot where he can be a starter. That was very clear to me uh, based on his comments at the beginning of the season when he talked about why he wanted to leave Minnesota. But I think for the Suns. They brought in Dario for two reasons, two reasons that they've now actually kind of been able to fill with this new starting lineup, and that's shooting and playmaking. Dario Saric is shooting 32% from deep on the season. Kelly Oubre somehow has become an above-average three-point shooter, it looks like. So that right there uh, is, you know, strike one for Dario. Right. And then the playmaking, obviously Kelly's not going to bring the playmaking, but Mikhail Bridges actually kind of can. He, he's pretty good at that for right. a second-year player. He is just so fundamentally good. Uh, and an intelligent basketball player that he's able to fill in that little hole there. So that's strike two for Dario. You know, I think he's going to come back. He's still going to get some minutes. Obviously, Monty prefers playing him to Shek Diallo or uh, Tariq Owens or, you know, players like that. Um, But what he was brought in to do to kind of be this Swiss Army man type uh, power forward who doesn't necessarily dominate the box score but does a little bit of everything Uh, other guys are now doing that better and it's evidenced in the stats just like you said they're fifth in net rating just like you said they're second in offensive rating of uh, all the lineups that have played at least 150 minutes with an offensive rating of 122 points per 100 possessions which is insanely good uh, yeah. their, their offense is firing in all cylinders and it's just becoming abundantly clear that if you give that lineup a real bench uh, they will win a good amount of games. It's so much of it works because of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, of course, especially Devin Booker. He just attracts so much attention from the defense. But that's why it's why this team it, it struggles with Devin Booker off the court. There's just not a lot there. One thing I've been thinking about Dario Saric, I know this is what wasn't what we planned for this segment here, but is he maybe is he a center? Like maybe he's not a power forward. 
you know <laughs> now you're thinking in, like in, mike d'antoni uh in, in the in the modern nba right he's not really fast he's not a quick player his defense is his scrambling defense is not quite the best use of him as a defender and his post defense is actually kind of good. Like he's stronger than he looks. I mean, he's not he's not cut, right? But he's he's strong. I think he's just, with the way the NBA has rapidly changed in the past few years, he may have come into the league as a 3-4 and maybe now more he's a he's a 4-5. Yeah. So that's that's I think that's where he's going to struggle going forward is is you know, he, he he that might be his position that and maybe he would look good on a team like uh, ironically the philadelphia 76ers if <laughs> without joel Embiid, for example if he had ben simmons running the show or like the bucks if he could find a place on the bucks Man, that you would just be a really want philly to trade joel Embiid and have uh, i do ben simmons run the show i feel like you've really mentioned like it. ben simmons i feel like you've mentioned it once a week for the past month <laughs> i just don't i don't know i just don't really see it with joel Embiid. i i, I think that ben simmons I think the best way forward for that team is building around Ben Simmons. And, and if you have a guy like Ben Simmons, if you have a wing that does the things that he does, you should build around them the best way possible. And Joel Embiid, his trade value is going to be pretty high right now. And maybe it won't be that high in the future. So that's just what I would think if I were a 76ers fan. But I, I just think of him as the type of center that you can have when you have a guy like Giannis or a guy like Ben Simmons or or even like LeBron. He He would be a good he would be a good center. I use that in quotes next to Anthony Davis, where he could just spread the floor and then guard centers to, to keep a guy like Anthony Davis from doing it because they just, for some reason he doesn't want to. Uh, and you know, I just wonder if that's his future in the league is he's just not really a power forward anymore. And that's why he struggles um, in the lineup against, or, you know, next to Deandre Ayton, where a guy like Mikhail Bridges just makes more sense with the way that the NBA works uh, now. And, and, you know, that's, that's going to be hard for him in, in this you know, he should be one of the better, the more valued players in this free agency, and it just looks like he's not going to be, which is unfortunate for him, really. Uh, yeah. But I think it's nice for the Suns that they found a starting lineup that really works, and it took a while to get there, and I think that's because DeAndre Ayton wasn't playing, but it's nice to see that lineup. The other way you can just ever so slightly take this conversation, just because you brought up free agency, the probably best free agent on the market is kind of a Danilo us uh, Jesus I just fucked it up it's kind of a Dario uh prototype in Danilo Gallinari I mean he's different uh even, the ball skills are different the ball skills are different the dribbling yeah but but Dario can dribble we see him do it we yeah. see him put we see him put him put, put the ball on the floor and try to drive he can dribble well for a center <laughs> yeah I don't know I was just gonna ask if the league is is trending in the same direction for a guy like Danilo or or if maybe we're overrating how valued Danilo will be on the free agent market too. I'll say this. This new starting lineup made me kind of glad we didn't trade for Danilo. Like he'd have to start. Well, but then, do we really want to see that kind of defender? Like he's not that's not his skill, right? He's he's more of an offensive player. So you're so happy with the starting lineup, but you need depth. You're gonna get rid of, let's say, Dario, maybe Baines, Javon Carter, Tyler Johnson, all these guys. Um yeah. who knows, maybe even a Kobo or Diallo. In the name of cap space this summer, well, okay, great, cap space. Now you have to spend that money on someone. Who are you going to – and you don't have to give me specific names, but if you're so happy with the starting lineup, what's the target? What are you looking for? Yeah, I think that is the conversation that we're going to have a lot going forward, especially if we look at this draft as a weak draft and maybe a pick that the Suns don't really value that much. Uh, They've shown a willingness to trade it. 
I'm not really, I'll be honest, I'm not really prepared to have that conversation no, that's yet. Fine. That's fine. I, I mean, look. <laughs> but I, I think we will. I think we will. Yeah, that's we will. And the podcast. And I, you know, I've looked loosely at names. I, I could throw off role players that I'm interested in, in the free agent class. But, but that's kind of my question is, you know, you go out and get, and I'm not saying this for any specific reason, but just like random names. You go out and you sign like Joe Harris and Davis Bertans th- this yeah. summer, like sharpshooters or something. Sure, that'd be great. But th- this starting lineup and a couple of bench players, is that really enough? Like, what's the ceiling of that team? That's the next conversation we have to have. It always comes back to that conversation of how good can DeAndre Ayton be? Uh, How good can Kelly Oubre be if he's going to be your number three? Or can you get a better number three? Because otherwise, you know, if you're just throwing $10 million a a year here or there to various role players, that's not going to get you very far in the playoffs. The oldest, the year, besides Ricky Rubio, in that lineup, the oldest player is what, Mikael Bridges or, or Kelly Oubre at 24, 25? That's a pretty good sign. I think that... It might be enough, Sam. It actually might be. Because I think if you look at Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Kelly Oubre, and the the X Factor, of course, and Mikhail Bridges, all four of those guys are likely going to improve going forward. And the fact that they are already one of the best lineups, and of course we're going to track this. They haven't played a ton of minutes together. A lot of the best lineups in the NBA have played like 350 to 400 minutes. And I think when you get closer to that amount of minutes, you're going to get a better idea of how good it is going forward. They will have played a wider swath of teams and we'll know what it looks like against different styles of teams. But the fact that four of them are absolutely going to improve going forward, that's pretty nice for the team. And if you can find ways to fill it in around them, I think that makes a difference. And I love the two guys that you, you just said uh, in Joe Harris and Davis Bertans, because one of the struggles that we have is when Ricky Rubio's on, but Devin Booker is off. But if you put a lot of shooters around Ricky Rubio, that, that changes a little bit. It gets, a little more realistic with how you can use Ricky Rubio as a guy who's not quite a scorer. You have to surround him by guys who can score, and that's what they do well. Uh, that would make a big difference. Those two guys on the bench right now, I think we are in the playoffs. I'll be honest. And this is all, of course, if we actually get close to 82 games out of DeAndre. This is the real mm-hmm. reason why the Suns are struggling right now, I think, in that playoff race. I think it would be a massive difference if he played the whole season. So, yeah, I think it might be. <laughs> I think it might be enough. And and look, ultimately, you're going to have to upgrade the Ricky Rubio position. You know, we've talked about that before. Uh, you, you're going to have to upgrade that at some point because uh, he's the oldest guy. Uh, and he's the only guy that you look at in that lineup and you say, he's, he's probably not going to improve at anything. Maybe, hopefully, three-point shooting. That's really what you would want. Uh, but, I mean, what else at this point of his career? Luckily, there are a lot of point guards in this upcoming draft. So that's what we'll start to talk about as well. And hopefully they will be better, you know, a a little more obvious starting caliber material than Ty Jerome, who may or may not get there one day, but right. You know, guys that you take in the lottery as opposed to 18th or 20th overall. It's going to be Jalen McHugh anyway. We all know (laughs) (laughs) the Suns are 21 and 32 now, 11 games back from 500. It's not a great situation. Uh, as far as record goes, they're on pace for 32 wins. Is that what we calculated, Sam? 33. 33 wins, on pace for 33 wins. What should our expectations be going forward now that they have not made any moves and they're not quite in a great position? And I'll be honest, the schedule, not not super easy According, going forward. We got, we got the Lakers next yeah. and then the Golden State Warriors, which could be a win and there's a nice break over a week. 
Uh, and then we got Toronto, Chicago, Utah, the Clippers, you know, Detroit. <laughs> There's just a lot of good teams in the West. They've so got we, the, you know, we know what it's going to look like. They've got the seventh most difficult schedule remaining, according to Tankathon. Yes, I'm still looking right. at Tankathon occasionally. I mean, hey, it's a valuable website. It's a valuable tool. <laughs> it's, it's a valuable tool for what it does. Uh, it's sad that it's come to this, but that's where we are. Um, I think the Suns may make one more kind of valiant push for the playoffs. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, so realistically, you know, we want to give you guys something to look forward to. I think at this point, we've seen the progression we want to see out of Devin Booker. We've seen the progression we want to see out of Kelly Oubre, and we're even starting to see it out of DeAndre Ayton. I think the frontier we haven't crossed yet, and what I'm hoping for out of the rest of the season, just beyond the Suns winning games, is uh, really singling out Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson. Uh, I, you know, right now, until Dario and Baines and uh, Kaminsky come back. This is Cam Johnson's chance. He is the sixth man of this team right now. He is arguably the only decent player coming off their bench. Uh, this is his chance to make the most of that opportunity and kind of let loose a little bit and maybe see some 20 point outbursts from him off the bench. I don't know if he's truly capable of that as a rookie, uh, but I would like to see him try. And, uh, and if there's any time where it's imperative for him to be aggressive, it's this stretch of games right now. So that's the first guy. Um, and then the second guy being Mikhail Bridges thrust into a role where you can suddenly play 30 or 35 minutes per game as a power forward. That's great. We've seen the defensive impact from him all season long, but I'd also like to see him be more aggressive on offense and and continue to drive to the basket as he has been doing uh, more increasingly often as of late. So, you know, my hopes are are pretty simple. I just kind of want to see the young guys, the actual development projects start to show some progress if you're not going to make the playoffs at least. Yeah, I think that's that's key for knowing what you're going to do this offseason as well. Now, maybe it wouldn't make a huge difference if Ty Jerome just played relatively well, you know, improved a little bit. Maybe that would make a huge difference on just understanding that you have to improve the backup uh, guard positions. You just have to in general. But as we talked about, it seems like they're trying to find a guy that can play with a point guard or with Devin Booker, you know, a guy that can kind of be a combo guard, what Tyler Johnson was supposed to be uh, this season. So I think I agree with you there. You know, I would like, I I predicted 37 wins. And, you know, of course, I didn't predict a 25 game suspension for our second best player who is i think now definitively probably our second best player uh but you know maybe we'd be on track for that without that but it would be nice to get closer to 35 36 wins even with this and that that would be hard you know they're gonna have to win basically half the games the rest of the season to get there and that's gonna be difficult two things i would like to see health right i i just want them to get healthy i the fact that Four out of our five oldest guys basically are injured right now <laughs> is not great. Uh, it's just not great. I think it's just Aaron Nelson's, I said it on Twitter, Aaron Nelson's ghost haunting us because Aaron Nelson, a lot of people complained about the injuries that the young guys were having, but I mean, what is he known for? Keeping older guys healthy late in their careers. That's what he was good at. And, uh, you know, JJ Reddick's playing a lot of games for the Pelicans, let's just say that. So, you know, it'd be nice to have him for guys like Aaron Baines at this point. Going forward, health. I want to see this team at full health. It's just we haven't seen a lot of that period. We've probably seen three or four games where basically all the rotational players are healthy. So I'd like to see that to see what we actually have. And I'd like to see development, just like you said, from some of the younger guys. I want to see more Ty Jerome minutes, ultimately. I just want to see what he can do in his rookie year here. Uh, And if he can get that, because his shooting is still there. Uh, You can see the brain. But the passing, he's been struggling with the passing, and I'd like to see him get some more time to get used to that NBA speed. I think that's something that he's not used to yet. So those are the two things I'd like to see. 
I think we Any basically other thoughts on expectations. I think we basically covered it. You want to uh, shoot the shit about movies for a few minutes, if the listeners yeah, will indulge sure. us. The Oscars are starting right now. It's what? <laughs> it's four twenty. So the Oscars are starting in about two hours. Here, we talked about it a little bit before this. There's there's a few s- movies that I just have not seen out of the Best Picture that I'm disappointed I haven't seen. Uh, I haven't seen Parasite. I haven't seen Little Women, and I haven't seen 1917. And those are like a lot of people's three favorite movies they're, of the year. They're three of my. <laughs> top four <laughs> you listed yeah. right there so who, who do you think should win best picture um I, I think parasite is probably the best well-rounded well-made film it's a tight script it's phenomenally shot uh and yeah it sucks you in with an interesting narrative too uh and and a narrative that actually matters in terms of what the themes are about whereas you know i think 1917 is also a great movie um technologically masterful um, but but doesn't necessarily have as much to say as a movie like Parasite. So I think 1917, right. realistically, if I'm putting myself into the brain of of what a 60 year old white Academy voter is thinking, because <laughs> like that's you know, a white male. That's like let's be honest. That's what most of them are. They're gonna vote for 1917. There's a chance Once Upon a Time in Hollywood um, wins a lot of That'd awards too for that reason, which I thought was a a pretty good movie. It's not up there with my absolute favorites, but it's definitely good. I think that and 1917 are definitely going to take home a lot of awards. I think Parasite's probably a lock for Best Foreign, but they're not going to have the balls to to give it Best Picture, for sure. So I've seen I've seen six out of the nine movies that are nominated for Best Picture, and I think that Uncut Gems was better than all of them that I saw. <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah, Uncut Gems is is a clear snub to me too. That is so bizarre. I, this is why the Oscars are so out of touch. Well, and I saw some interviews where they said Adam mm-hmm. Sandler just doesn't represent the Oscars. And whatever, the Oscars, I mean, there's so many mistakes. They've made so many mistakes year after year after year. And Uncut Gems was, I think, in my opinion, the best movie I've seen this year. And I obviously, I'm behind a little because I've been sick. I was hoping to watch 1917 and Parasite this week. Unfortunately, I haven't seen either. Uh, but Anka Jebs was amazing beginning to end, just unlike any other movie I've ever seen and an incredible performance and a movie where the the actor that started the movie was basically in every single scene. And that's the type of guy that you should recognize. It's it's just a bizarre thing to exclude yeah if you're a basketball fan which you know you are because you're listening to this then if you haven't seen uncut gems yet uh, yeah, it's made for me basically I, it doesn't matter how you feel about kevin garnett he does he does a very good job in this movie he's really good yeah and all of the people in this movie who are not actors i mean obviously there's a couple of of well-known actors in this one there's adam sandler uh, lakeith stanfield obviously plays a big role too but but there are plenty of kind of non-traditional actors in this one who all give a great performance and it's another good film by the softy brothers so Definitely shout out to Uncut Gems. I was happy to see another kind of internet. If you're plugged into the internet scene, if you're a hipster who likes A24 movies, um, then like The Lighthouse was another one that I was happy to see get a nod for Best Cinematography um, for a nomination. So that was cool. Didn't get anything else, though. I realized yesterday as the Independent Film Spirit Awards were airing that that was my real awards show there. Yeah. (laughs) Those are the real movies that I like, and those are the ones that I like to be awarded. And, of course, Uncut Gems won and Adam Sandler won, so shout out to them. They made the right choices. And for the Oscars tonight, justice for Uncut Gems. That's my main opinion on it. And I guess out of the movies I saw, I would like for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to win, but my opinion is affected by the fact that I haven't seen three of the best movies that were up there. So. <laughs> that's fair. I I just think it would be so. So I think 1917 is going to win. You guys will listen to this tomorrow. That's my official projection now. We'll Most see people if, have turned this off already, actually. <laughs> that 100% they have. If you're still with us, thank you so much for, for yeah. indulging that. Um, 1917 is my prediction, prediction for what's going to win. I think it would be so funny because the best part about the Oscars is, is just kind of 
embracing the shit show that it is. Like, if you accept that it's an irredeemable awards show, it's better than the Grammys, but it's still an irredeemable awards show that just isn't going to get it right to the extent that you yeah. want it to get it right. So I think the funniest thing would be if they just give it to Joker. Because the uh. internet memes and the chaos and the anger of Reddit and Twitter, uh, it's going to be beautiful. And Joker's a good film. It's not best picture. <laughs> it's fine. But it's a good film. And I do think Joaquin is fully deserving of, of something like best actor. Um, but giving yeah. it best picture, too, it would be gloriously funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us. We'll be back next week. Uh, next week, we'll be recording either right before or right after All-Star Weekend. There will be a nice break in there, so not a lot of games to talk about. And, of course, we'll be looking forward towards the rest of the season. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This place is one of the special places in the league to play basketball. And I saw fans cheering on their team tonight, and that was that was pretty cool. They, they know what we're doing. They understand it's a process. Not always happy about the results, but I saw a bunch of people out there supporting their team, and we're going to need it again tomorrow. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.